What's up, everyone? Thank you for listening to my show. This episode is with the sex educator, Amy Baldwin, and this is a round two interview. We did our first podcast together in episode 23, and you all loved it. Hmm, wonder why? Probably because she is skilled at talking about the subjects that make most of us in this society uncomfortable. Such as? A lot of the women that I know or I'm working with really want to be ravished, and um, they don't know how to talk to their male partners about this, um, or when they do, the men are either really fearful or they just don't really know what it means or how to get into it. Um, and ravished, what does ravished mean to you, Kyle? Ravished. Uh, I think of raviolis. <laughs> word, word association game. Okay. <laughs> you know it's a, a good podcast when you start going down a tangent about abalone diving and then somehow it gets to anal sex. I was listening back to this podcast uh, just yesterday, and there were multiple times when I felt myself sweat and felt myself go, oh, shit, all right, I guess we'll release it. <laughs> but Amy's, Amy's amazing, and she has her own podcast now called Shameless Sex, which I highly recommend. We recorded this conversation at the beginning of summer, and I've been sitting on it, and I'm really happy to bring it to you today. If you like this podcast, please donate to it. Head over to my website, kyle.surf, and become a patron. Anyone who donates just a few bucks a month uh, gets entered into a raffle where I give away gear from my wonderful surf sponsors, such as Patagonia Provisions, Sector 9 Skateboards, and RPM Fitness. So you could donate a few bucks, and you could have some goodies sent to your doorstep. If you can't donate... No problem at all. I totally understand. You can support the podcast through a myriad of ways. You can just listen to it. You can share it with a friend. You can give it a rating on iTunes, or you can buy stuff through Amazon using the link on my website, kyle.surf. You go to my website, you click the Amazon link, and then you bookmark that link, and any purchases you make on Amazon while using that link I get a percentage of at no cost to you. So it's an easy way to support the podcast, one of many easy ways to support the podcast, and it allows me to prioritize this and keep bringing content to you. All right, fasten your seatbelts, everyone. Bringing on my homegirl, Amy Baldwin. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. So you had a good Memorial Day weekend? I did. I know. I keep forgetting it's Memorial Day. But yeah, I got, had a little little getaway. Got naked with the ladies out in nature. It's always fun. It's I, super fun. We were talking about that. I was about how um, nakedness, I don't know if this can be like a good podcast topic, <laughs> but nakedness is, um, it's, it's something that we get comfortable with with practice. And it's a good example of something that we kind of lose, you know, from the shame and the rules and the and all these ideas that society gives us and how we should or should not be as a being, but we're born naked. We spend a lot of our childhood naked and all of a sudden it's inappropriate to be naked in public. 
And then when people all of a sudden want to be naked in public or be naked, even if it's just around one friend, it's all there's this learning curve to get comfortable with it again. And so the more time you spend naked, the more natural it becomes again. And so, you know, my I was with these two other girls and we were just just dropped into nakedness and didn't even think anything of it. In fact, strangers would walk up and we're just like naked. We're like, hey, what's up? You know, not even really thinking twice about it, but it's because we're well-practiced, kind of got ourselves back to our original roots. But well, I know so it, many people that aren't there. Yeah, and it's funny how quickly you can drop back into it. Yeah. For example, if you're going to Burning Man, the, uh, you're driving in, and the first 20 minutes, you see all these titties. <laughs> you're like, wow, titties, titties. And then after 20 minutes, you're like, eh, titties. Yeah, yeah, normal normal yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, and I remember when I started to get comfortable naked again when I was 25. I wasn't that comfortable with being naked from, you know, my youth until that age, and then just spent a lot of time naked around a lot of people, and all of a sudden it was a normal thing which is so funny because like that's their original way but that's what's unusual or out of norm so yeah it just feels so good to be out in nature naked it's weird uh to think about the time when it becomes unacceptable socially to be naked for kids yeah because i have nephews and i have a a three-year-old nephew a five-year-old nephew and a 10-year-old nephew and it's this like no one really it's almost like uh figuring out when to tell your kid that santa claus isn't real yeah like there's no like all right at age six it's mm-hmm. not okay mm-hmm. um but it's so weird how societally we kind of have these amorphous norms yeah it just shifts. Where all of a sudden it, be- it becomes not okay but then shifting back into something that's natural like being naked or breathing from your belly yeah. that's one thing that i've been working on recently because mm-hmm. i took this uh this breath hold course uh this last week and if you take a a breath from your diaphragm and that's your belly and then you do a slow exhale it helps slow your heart rate down so that you can uh, dive a lot deeper Mm. and when you start practicing it it's interesting to see how quickly your body will readjust back into that natural state Mm, because if you see a baby uh being naked that's they're just comfortable with it and if you see a baby if you (laughs) see a baby breathing they're Mm. breathing out of their belly Mm -hmm. so if you can retrain yourself you very easily will slip back into those natural patterns. Yeah. But it can it can be years and years and years of having developed bad habits that can um, take you out of, of being comfortable in your natural state. Yeah, it's this, un- this unlearning or relearning of what was originally ours and then was lost. Well, same thing with um, that the thing with like masturbation, right? You see like a little two-year-old that's like touching their genitals. We're kind of like, ah! that's cute that's and then when they're four or five then we're like oh nope can't do that in public you gotta do that in private that's and it becomes un, in, inappropriate to go in um and, of, and for for just reasons if everyone's walking down the street just like wanking themselves then it would be quite distracting that's the world that i want to live in <laughs> yeah. everyone's just having orgasms walking down the street no big deal uh, but i think it's kind of around the same age it's um, got to keep your clothes on. Don't touch your genitals. Don't do this. Don't do that. And all these things that were originally kind of just part of our expression. Yeah, I was. Um, well, I think that it, it, a lot of it comes back to self consciousness, right? If mm-hmm. we're if we're self conscious, if we're thinking about our bodies, um, like walking down the street or having sex, it's very difficult to enjoy the moment. I was mm-hmm. um, talking to a friend recently who uh, he. Was ha- he was having sex with a model, mm-hmm. and he said that um, like the most gorgeous women he'd, woman he'd ever been with. He said it was some of the worst sex he had ever had because 
said that she she said that she couldn't stop thinking about the way that she looked mm-hmm. while she was having sex. Yeah. So that she wasn't in her body. Yeah, she wasn't in her body. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it goes back to nakedness. It goes back to sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that, that presence piece in sexuality, right? So we're touching or being touched and we're somewhere else. We're in our heads. We're in our insecurities. What do I look like? What do I smell like? Am I taking too long? All of those. We're not, we're not there connect. We can't connect because we're somewhere else. We're not even here to be present for the other person that we're touching or being touched by. And, um, it's, and it's so common. Even, you know, you have your extreme version of a model whose whole life is built around their look. So I could imagine that that would be a huge issue for so many, so many of those people. And, um, but even your, you know, everyday person who, whose whole life isn't built around their looks are still, that stuff is always pouring in, always, yeah. always pouring in. And it is, and most people just aren't aware of it. It's such backwards thinking too, because models tend to be at least many of them tend to be kind of like sexualized mm-hmm. like objects yes. right for people's yeah. desire people to look at on instagram oh she's such a bit bro she must be so good at right. <laughs> right but then to think about her constantly thinking about angles and ways that she looks yeah. less flattering yes. and bent over this way and then my herself. belly doesn't look good and oh my god oh my god yeah. it's funny how it, over just the last few years of everyone uh, l- having learned how to take selfies, mm. everyone has become way more self-conscious about flattering angles yes. of themselves. Got to go up, can't go down. Always no got to go chins. up, right? Yeah, there's a lot of insecurities there. And this was another nice thing about being naked with these two other women the other yesterday at the um, the river was we were just sitting there on the rock and you know you can sit on the rock and worry about this positioning. What's my belly going to look like? And you know, and um, and we just just you know real none of it matters like none of it none of it matters and when we're able to just for me when I was able to just go into this place of not caring and just enjoying the nature and the connection and the freedom and not worrying what my girlfriend might think if I sit this certain way because I'm completely naked and they might see my labia or something (laughs) it was so much more freeing and my body was so much more comfortable and um, just when we can go into that place, it just feels so good. And like, who cares if they see my labia? <laughs> yeah. The subtle art of not giving a fuck. <laughs> exactly. It totally is. It's just, it's so freeing. Yeah. I, um, I think that a lot of things that we do that are, that make us slightly uncomfortable, whether it's being naked around friends or doing some kind of physical activity that like, out in nature that mm-hmm. makes us uncomfortable, it pulls back the veil on a lot of different anxieties that we yeah. Uh, that we hang on to throughout our day. So mm-hmm. for our memorial uh, weekend, I went up uh, to Northern California. I went abalone diving with my friend, which is a fucking uncomfortable sport. Mm-hmm. Like spearfishing is something that I'm just getting into. And the amount of shit that you have to deal with, you're swimming out into ice cold water you're diving down sometimes your ears aren't clearing you're cold you have all these lines that are constantly getting tangled up you have this abalone gauge you're diving 30 feet down to go find these these snails at the Mm -hmm. bottom of the ocean that are big enough to then pluck up and then hopefully you have enough air in you to i mean you you do have enough air in you we were doing it very safely Mm -hmm. but it's still a super uncomfortable experience so we did this for three days straight we're out there for like like five or six hours every single time and and uh by the end of it like just having that bit of fear and that bit of discomfort and that just like primal 
feeling of being out in nature and fucking using my body mm. everything else slipped away like all of the bullshit of like who am i am i enough or yeah. what am i gonna do with my life mm-hmm. i just don't know what's my purpose what's my purpose <laughs> right it all slips away yeah your purpose in that moment was abalone diving and breathing and staying yeah. alive and being connected to the moment yeah i was uh, i don't know if i talked about this in the last podcast but when i work with clients yeah, in my coaching practice i do um, I show them this little diagram of three circles. Well, actually, there's two circles. There's the middle circle, which is your comfort zone. The outer circle is, or the no, that's the very middle circle. Then the outer circle or outside of that is stretch. And then outside of stretch is panic. And comfort is where we like to hang out. You know, it's, it's our everyday day to day. I wake up, I drink my coffee, I go to my yoga class, and I'm going to go to the same yoga class because I like this teacher, and I'm not going to go to the other yoga class because I've never been and it feels uncomfortable. So I'm just going to do my everyday patterns. And that feels good to the system. You know, this goes with sexuality too. You know, we I have sex in this missionary position on Tuesdays with my partner in the bed. And, um, you know, it's it's the norm. We kind of habituate and that feels good. And also we like newness and we like to push our boundaries. We learn from the newness. So um, the comfort zone can actually be uncomfortable because we can get so um, just kind of stuck there. That's that feeling when people are like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in life. Yeah. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm stuck in my job. I'm stuck in my sex life. So going in that stretch zone, you know what you're talking about, going and diving and doing these things that really push you. That's where the learning and the excitement comes in. And then the panic zone, you know, outside us when we freak the fuck out and we're like, ah, but you know, no learning happens in panic because we're losing our minds. I'm caught in fishing line. Yeah. I'm 40 I'm dying. Feet yeah, yeah. yeah. So we don't want to really go in panic. We'll go in there on accident. You know, it's like... All right, let's, we're at Burning Man. Let's go into this orgy dome. Ooh, that's a stretch. Orgy dome, having sex with my partner in the orgy dome. People are looking at us. Oh, some lady comes up and starts touching my nipple, and I'm, like, freaking out because that's unwarranted, and, you know, it's it's, it's um, going against consent. That's panic zone. So that's when we take a step back, go back in the stretch, maybe go deep into comfort, like we need to get out of the orgy dome and go in the tent right now and, and get comf- going back in comfort. I want to go back to the pillow room. Yeah, yeah. Let's go home. I hate Burning Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but there's, there's a lot of value in that and you know for me very interesting I think I lived a lot of my life scared of the stretch and um, it isn't until the last couple of years that I've really pushed myself to go into the stretch and spent a lot of time in that comfort zone and part of it was it was just the fear you know the, the doubt in my ability to learn new skills or to tough out those learning curves of something that's really uncomfortable when did that switch for you Oh, you know what really switches is uh, my uh, my most recent partnership. Uh, my partner really pushes me. He's like an extremist, so <laughs> he's like he likes to just push. And um, and I was the opposite. You know, I was more balanced and grounded. And so he would really inspire me to push myself into my limits in all aspects of my life. And some of it was um, in the beginning was always really scary because it was just unfamiliar and you know in, in terms of like my body's abilities and with um not with sports I'm not a sports person but in terms of like the, f- the physical things that I can do with it and um and even like the abilities of my mind and just by having someone push me to tell me um essentially like there's a learning curve here this is going to be hard but once you get it down you can do it uh, that and really practicing that I think practice is the biggest piece here too um, when we try something and we're not good at it, we're like, I'm not good at it. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't like it. 
was what we kind of choose. Uh, and then once we actually start to get some skills in it, then we start to maybe like it or maybe we still don't like it, but we get better at it and then um, we, it becomes more enjoyable. Right. And engineering those uh, little ways throughout our day that we can push our comfort zone a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I think can help build that muscle for big moments so we don't freak the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I would say, best things that has happened to me in the last few years is I've started doing daily cold plunges where I'll run down to the ocean and I'll jump in the water. Wim Hof style. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Super cold, super uncomfortable. You get out, you feel like fucking Wolverine. (laughs) And then you go on with your day. And that's usually the most difficult thing that I'll do uh, or most physically uncomfortable thing that I'll do in a day. Mm. And to just practice that little muscle in a controlled environment where I know I'm not going to die. I know it's just going to be a little uncomfortable for me. I think has has tremendously helped me uh, move towards those uncomfortable situations with more ease. Yeah, I, and I, I think also just realizing that life isn't always comfortable. We kind of think that, or we, we don't always think, because a lot of us experience discomfort and um, pain and a lot of things that don't feel good, but we kind of think that life should always be comfortable or easy or pleasurable, and once... Um, for me, you know, once I've gotten comfortable with the fact that life isn't always comfortable and that there's learning in the discomfort and that discomfort's going to happen, um, then it's really opened up the doors for me to, to grow. And so I've gotten a lot more comfortable with discomfort. Now there's a difference. And I talk to people about this too, when it comes to sexuality, when, you know, I'm teaching my anal 101 classes. We have to understand the distinction between discomfort and pain, right? So like in anal, we'll just go into an anal example here. When I'm teaching anal 101, um, it's at first, you know, if you're the receiver, it's going to be uncomfortable because the muscle is relaxing. Um, this is just kind of standard. And it actually, for a lot of people, feels like you're pooping because so, you're going against this unconscious muscle. And some people would debate like, well, that means it shouldn't happen. Um, no, because discomfort is a part of life. Now, pain, that shouldn't be happening. Now, some people aren't doing it right. You know, they're not going slow enough. They're not using enough lube, enough communication. Um, don't do it doggy style. People. Don't No, not doggy style until it's really warmed up yeah. <laughs> like they do in porn. They go right into it. So I think it takes it's a skill, though, for humans to understand the distinction between discomfort and pain. And what a lot of times when people feel discomfort, they say pain means pain, red flag, getting the fuck out of here. And they're they're two different things. So we can. Um, avoid pain as much as possible, but discomfort sometimes that's there's some there's some beauty in going into that because on the other side of it can be a lot of pleasure. Yeah, I think that a lot of it goes back to our relationship with um, what life is really about, right? In the Western culture, it's very much about all right. So, what do we? What's the purpose of life? It's to be happy, mm-hmm. right? We say that. I don't think so. No, I was yeah. talking to Chris Ryan about this uh, the other week on when I was on his show and he was saying that there's like this really great way of saying it that that happiness is a um, happiness is a a, it's a temporary emotion Mm. right it's like going from being hungry to being full you can't always enjoy food all the time because sometimes you're hungry and sometimes you're full it's 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 temporary right but we're constantly looking for this temporary uh, emotion without understanding understanding that there's a duality mm, that like yeah. for example I'm so happy today because I had a tough 
physical weekend, right? And there was uncomfortable moments in that. But as a result, I get to experience this greater joy rather than if I would have just stayed home all weekend and drank beer and done a bunch of comfortable things, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to experience that greater happiness on the other side of it. You probably would have been on on a low too. All that beer weighing you down. (laughs) Fucking alcohol. Yeah. God, it's so bad. Mm -hmm. This was, yeah. What fun fact, everyone, when you're having sex, one to two drinks ups your game, you lose your inhibitions, everything's feeling kind of juicy. And after that, it's all downhill. Don't drink that bottle of wine and try to have great sex. Everything numbs out. Penises don't really work that well. The juices aren't flowing. Yeah, sidetrack, but side note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's just weird how much alcohol makes its way into our lives. Just well, slithers yeah. in there so easily. Into everything, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's legalized, and so people feel like it's okay to incorporate, and um, especially in, in people who think that in mass, mass amounts. But, yeah, not, not when it comes to sex. It's not your best friend. Yeah, so... Preparing people for uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. I find one of the best things. I'm just going to keep going back yeah, to, no, to, the, like to the abalone analogy yeah. because I'm super fired up Woo! on abalone. I saw that photo. It looked awesome. I know. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. They taste. Have you ever had abalone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. I haven't had any years. My uncle used to go diving for abalone a long time ago. And um, yeah, I'm craving some abalone. But yeah. you tell me, just I'll just live vicariously through you. Yeah. They're, they're super strong, too. You have to sneak up on them. You have to go. You can't sneak up. They they run away. (laughs) This doesn't sound consensual, Kyle. Right? Get them from behind. (laughs) Well, what happens is you. So you have a gauge, an abalone gauge, to make sure that they're big enough, uh, because you can get find a huge um, amount if you if you take an abalone that's too small. So you have to make you you put the gauge up to them to see that they're big enough, but you can't. Uh, touch them because if you touch them their muscle clamps down and you won't be able to get them off the rock they're super strong so you have to go right above them and then you sneak up from behind them and then you shuck them with this uh, abalone like spatula basically sneak attack yeah full sneak (laughs) attack from behind yeah Yeah, they're amazing animals Um, they're snails did you say call them snails I don't know if they're, we should really ask my housemate because she's an abalone marine biologist, Uh, but uh, I want to say that they're a type of snail, Uh, but they were almost fished to extinction at one point and now their numbers have come back, but it's heavily regulated. You're only allowed to get 12 in a year and you have to tag them on the beach and we were up there, there were like helicopters flying over looking for abalone poachers. Oh, wow. Because they're super... uh, they're a delicacy and you can sell them for like a hundred bucks an abalone. So sometimes people will go in and they'll go get a hundred abalone and they'll sell them on the black market. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very strict up there. And then you, when you aren't, is there a, like they live a long time, so you don't want to get like baby abalones. And so it takes many years for them to come to adulthood where you can actually eat them. Right. right. Yeah. And you're, and it's, it's illegal to, uh, to get abalone anywhere South of the golden gate bridge. Oh, because uh-huh. at one point they were like we have abalone in Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. but you're not allowed to get them. Oh. And at one point they were fished almost extinction. Wow! So now it's a lot of regulations. What was the abalone analogy? We were talking about discomfort. Uh, discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the kind of the practice in the discomfort and your daily right, practice. So, right. So one thing that I find is is helpful is that like this was one of my first times um, going diving for abalone, and there are a number of things that can 
go from discomfort of take you from discomfort in regards to that i am underwater i'm in an uncomfortable situation to holy shit i'm caught in fishing line and i'm gonna die so um preparing for those potential panic moments Mm -hmm. by having a knife around your leg that you can get from both hands to get you to cut fishing line in case you get caught in it can help prepare you mentally for something like that happens Mm -hmm. and i want to let you take that analogy back to sex and anal where if something uncomfortable should arise preparing for that so you don't go in, into panic mode as easily. I have a great example for anal. <laughs> Abalonian anal. Abalonian anal, everyone. Well, so I, yeah, I like that. Um, the example that I use whenever I teach anal 101, first of all, there's it's, it's always crickets in the audience. People are so quiet because it is this kind of taboo thing, and yet it's the universal orifice. You know, everyone has an ass, and there's a lot of pleasure to be had there because the anus has as many nerve endings as your lips, and male-bodied individuals have a prostate, which can be really pleasurable, and you can actually stimulate the um, G-spot indirectly through um, for female-bodied individuals. Um, but aside from that, so people are really interested, and yet... It's scary to talk about it. So people come to class and they just sit there really quietly and they're not really asking their questions unless um, a lot of times I'll pass around those little little piece of paper so they can do an anonymous question. It's always about pooping. It's always like, does shit happen? (laughs) Um, And so um, a little anal 101, uh, fecal matter is not stored in the rectum. It's stored higher up in the colon, but fecal matter does move through the rectum, but that's typically not where it's stored. It's stored there like right before you're going to poop. You get that feeling, that feeling of fullness. I'm going to poop. Probably not the time to have anal sex. Um, So, and sometimes there can be traces though, depending on your diet, your bowel movements, you know, that happens. It's not like all the time, um, probably less often. Well, it depends if you're doing really, really deep anal, it might, might be a part of it. Um, but on that note that I think a part of the panic conversation there, especially if it's a new partner that you've never had anal sex with, um, the panic would be, oh God, there's, there's traces of something and we're freaking the fuck out. And now it's ruined, killed the mood because one person's like, oh, that's so disgusting. I can never sleep with you again. Or, or, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, so what the the panic would be having that conversation before of how are we going to deal with it? If this happens, you know, if, if we see traces, are we going to freak out? Is this going to ruin the mood? Are we going to be traumatized? Um, what and how? What kind of precautions should we take around that? Maybe anal isn't for us because someone's just like, I just can't handle it. I just can't handle it. Or maybe we need to have black towels or a shower accessible. Um, so yeah, I agree with um, no, black, not black towels, black dark towels. Oh, I like that. Yeah, black yeah. towels, dark towels. You know things that that's why like black condoms can be really good, or black gloves, or finger cuts for a- anal play because mm-hmm. they just show less as opposed to like a clean white towel. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, white cars don't show dirt as much. This is true. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, that, very, it's weird how cars. It's like the opposite. It's opposite. Yeah, it's yeah. opposite with black. You see everything. Not when it comes to anal. And now when I talk about this, everyone like the fecal matter piece um it's not like a regular thing so as i say you're not going to see a whole bunch of fecal matter i'm not trying to scare you out of having anal sex but on the topic of preparing for panic so still we're trying to avoid going in panic because we get stuck there and it can um 
kind of like hinder us from learning or from enjoying. Um, so we want to stay in that stretch zone, but preparing that if panic happens, what are we going to do? And it makes the stretch zone more enjoyable because we know that we have this backup for when we cross over into the... You got a knife when you get caught in the fishing yes, line. Yes, yes. Or, uh, or black towel when, you go, <laughs> when anal gets really deep and messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's your anal 101. I could talk about anal for... It's my one of my favorite topics to, to talk about because... Um, People are so misconstrued when it comes to anal because, again, I probably talked about this on the last podcast, that porn is our number one sex educator, and it's the worst. And I'm not anti-pornography, but I am anti-pornography as a sex educator, uh, and this is where people are learning their tricks. And when they show an anal scene, they're not showing you that these porn stars had, you know, probably had a butt plug in before the scene. They probably shot some lube up their ass with a lube shooter because the ass does not lubricate itself. They're not putting the lube on in an anal scene. They're just shoving it in and going really fast and hard. Yeah. And this is why people have traumatic experiences because... You know, it's not their partner's fault. They learned the wrong message from uh, from a, a porn, and so they think that that's how it should be. And then they shove it in, and someone has this traumatic experience. It hurts. It literally feels like someone's punching you in the stomach. That's the pain. It's not uncomfortable. It's painful when that happens. And and so then those people are like, oh, no, why do people have anal? I don't know why anyone would ever do that. It's terrible um, because they just weren't doing it correctly. So, yeah, I mean, porn can... Porn can inspire us in some ways, but in terms of anal uh, communication, threesomes, all kinds of things, it's just, it's not where we should learn. We need the uh, the making of porn movies, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, the behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, behind the scenes. Yeah. It was like, you watch Avatar, and then at the end, there's the making of. Like, yeah. well, we had all we had a team of 500 CGI yeah. uh, experts who made this one scene happen, so... So it's like, here's but, the porn sign. She's yeah. like, here's the butt plug that yeah, I'm going so, to put in yeah, where for three hours. Sasha Gray, like, yeah. well, I had this on for three days beforehand. <laughs> Five days. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and this is how we prepped for the whole scene. Yes. And, but we're not going to show you in the porn because we know that we'll ruin the porn, and... Um, and I think I have actually seen um, pornography that actually had things like that, like behind the scenes. It's just not what sells. You know, it's not what people are getting their their dopamine rushes from. And except for unless they're a sex nerd like me where we're like, ooh, that's so exciting. That's so interesting how that works. <laughs> uh, but it isn't usually what is the mainstream sell. You know what we should do, Kyle? We should do a Yoni the Love Warrior Porn, porn sequence here and you could educate the people what's really happening I love it because Yoni has all the, he's a conscious lover I mean I don't know I do you identify as a conscious lover fuck yeah you're, you're Yoni so. <laughs> yeah. well I think that uh, you know so we have uh, our we have our uh, kind of like societal notions of what it means to be a man mm-hmm. what it means to be a strong Man, and a lot of that is around like, well, I go hunting and I go fishing and I, I fuck lots of chicks. I so fuck, I yeah, don't make love. Right, but <laughs> I think that a lot of the more, but being, I don't even want to say being a man, but just being, um, being courageous. And women are very courageous. Uh, I, I have many women in my life who are who are very courageous as well. Um, I think that it it goes back to what we were talking about before: is meeting those uncomfortable moments fully Mm -hmm. and presently and showing up and i find that a lot of times it's not actually even physical acts that are the most uncomfortable it's communication Mm -hmm. it's and i think that that is that pertains to being a conscious lover is having those super tough conversations 
um, in our relationships mm-hmm. about sexuality, being super honest with what it is that that really nourishes us, what it is that we really need, mm-hmm. right? I think that, um, that like one of the most kind of uh, tragic things is two people who are in a relationship who both have sexual desires and fantasies that they are afraid of being judged for Mm -hmm. uh and they go off and they have their secret fantasies separately and maybe they're together for their entire lives and they were too afraid to have those conversations with each other and only if they were able to have the honesty and the courage to have those conversations with each other with each other could they have realized that wait we're both into the same freaky shit mm-hmm. yeah. and we can, we can enjoy this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not always easy. Um, no. but I, I find that it's, again, it's a, it's a muscle. And if we're practicing radical honesty, um, it gets easier to have those conversations. So it doesn't then blow up like it does, um, for a lot of people. It tends, I, I find that there tends to be this kind of like straw that breaks the camel's back for a lot of people where, they they haven't been able to speak honestly with each other, and this does this isn't necessarily just around sexual relationships. It's just around relationship relationships, yeah. human relationships, mm-hmm. communicating, communicating, and um, you know when there's the straw that breaks the camel's back, then it's like, and you never fucking do your laundry <laughs> and you never cook for me and you don't go down on me enough and there's, there's like a, you know, this bucket list like of you've been things. holding on to all yeah, that yeah, you've been holding on to all of it right mm-hmm. rather than if you being able to just kind of like release the valve yeah. naturally when it comes up um you just get better at it yeah it's a practice well and it's there's the idea of it's not the right time it's not the right time to talk about this so i'm going to wait and sometimes when we wait we bury things and then it was never the right time and when it feels like now is the right time that thing was like three weeks ago i don't know if it's worthy of talking about but it still is a crack in the foundation that is worthy of having a loving conversation um in somatica one of the practices that we do that's the somatic um sex and relationship coaching that i do it utilizes kind of the body um and the body's responses and experiences for healing and learning um we talk about negotiation so we always think of um in relationship you know with communication it's work it's work and no one wants the work but it is work to a certain degree you know it's not always sunshine and rainbows because we're dealing with um multiple wants desires needs perspectives and so it's, it is this constant negotiation this constant dance of what are my needs and what are your needs and maybe there's a third or fourth party what are their needs and their needs and how do we all work together and you know in a perfect situation we're meeting in the middle but those perfect situations don't always happen so there's different levels of um of compromise and of working together but it really is an ongoing negotiation all the time and um, for people who don't want to do that or for people who feel like relationships shouldn't be that uh, relationships are gonna be really challenging for you I mean they're challenging in general but when you're opposed to doing the work there's gonna going to be a lot of disconnect there and that's just a part of it whether it's a relationship with your mother or relationship with your lover negotiation is a part of it and when we avoid it then we have all those cracks in the foundation and then we build resentment then we disconnect because there's so many of those things. You didn't wash the dishes. You didn't buy the milk and you never go down on me and blah, blah, blah. And even though that was like five years ago, I'm still upset about that. Um, and then people get overwhelmed quite often when we hold in all that stuff. We have this big blowout later and it almost feels unrepairable because we haven't been doing the repair that should have been there all along. 
Um, that's another concept we talked about, talk about too in Somatica is uh, repair work. So th- something happens, you know, um, I walk in the door and you don't hug me and I feel really hurt by that. And you could seem really petty. Oh, well, that's so silly. I'm not going to talk to you about it. But if it's something that feels like it's a reoccurring thing um, and I want to really convey that it's building resentment in me because I'm feeling really hurt or um, unimportant or unloved when that happens, uh, a repair conversation can be really, really helpful. And they're not easy. Like when we talk about communicating relationships, um, it's not always fun. Most of the time when it's a heavy thing, it's not usually fun for anyone. Um, so understanding that, you know, there's the discomfort piece, right? Like it's not always comfortable. Okay. Here's a really uncomfortable thing, but it's important to me. So, um, one thing that we, that I like to suggest that I've totally not done my whole life and I still mess up on sometimes when we have a heavy, I mean, you know, heavy thing when we need to talk to our partner about it to not just throw the heavy at them. Hey, I have a heavy and you need to talk to me about it right now. Um, to wait till both people are in good spirits. It's a great moment and everyone's really present. Like the other person's not about to run the door, go to work, or they don't have like a deadline or they're not about to sit down on a podcast with Kyle Tierman. Um, probably not the time to bring up the heavy. So when it's a good moment, you know, in the morning when people have time sipping their coffee, hey, um, hey, lovely partner, um, I've been thinking about something that's really important to me and I'm wondering if now is a good time to talk to you about it. Are you open to a conversation? Um, and if not now, can we set a time to have that conversation as opposed to reacting and be like, I'm mad at you and you have to talk to me right now. Because then if, when you do that, people feel attacked. But when you give them an option, is this a good time? Um, and if not, when is a good time? Then it gives them some um, kind of like authority over what's happening. It's, it feels like mutual. They're not tricked into something which, which really triggers people. Um, so I think that's a really important step in repair is is asking almost like permission. Is this a good time for us to both go into this space? Um, and then the next step of that repair conversation is when you get the permission. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great time. I'm, I'm totally open to it. Let's talk about this. Um is to speak with empowered language. And I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but people throw around the word empowered all the time. Like these are our spiritual words, like authenticity and empowered and transparency and synchronicity. I love manifest. Yeah, manif- I manifested that. I just manifested those Burning Man tickets. <laughs> I was just thinking that. It's like, oh, I manifested it. And it all just happened. The universe is on my side. This is my truth, my truth, my truth. Fuck your truth. Fuck your truth. <laughs> if you have to talk about your truth, you don't have any. <laughs> you can't handle the truth. Yeah. Um, but empowered language to me means speaking from our hearts. Fuck your truth. Fuck your truth. <laughs> That's not that empowered. Sorry. Unempowered moment brought to you by Amy Baldwin. Um, so, but speaking from your heart, speaking from the I feel place. And I know that we talk about I statements, but really just speaking from the feelings behind it. And so not just... I'm angry at you, you know, and you, when you walked in the door and you didn't hug me, I, I felt angry right? Um, because there's something beneath that. What else did you feel? What did you feel in your body? Um, I felt my body kind of shrinking. I felt like a, I turned into like a five-year-old, like my five-year-old hurt little girl. I felt, um, I feel unloved and unimportant and not you made me feel too. That's not an empowered statement because empowered statements is speaking from you. Um, not speaking for the other person. And sometimes you still have to say the word you, but it's not you made me because they're not making you do anything. You're you're doing something and it's their action that's triggering something in you, but essentially it's you doing the thing. Um, so when you walked in the door and you didn't give me a hug, um, 
I felt un- unloved and unimportant and hurt and I felt my body kind of shrinking and I kind of wanted to run away and I felt myself kind of putting a wall up and trying to protect myself and um, and that feels really hard and really challenging for me because I love you and I want to feel really connected to you but um, when we don't connect that way I, I feel my body just kind of disappearing um, is a very empowered statement and um, and then the for the other person receiving it, hopefully they can come into a place of a compassion because they're not getting the you did this, you did this, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you fucked up. They're hearing, whoa, whoa, this person that I care for is hurt. Oh my God, they feel like a hurt little five-year-old and they don't feel loved. And I, of course I don't want them to feel that way. And um, they might still get defensive. They might be like, well, that wasn't my intention. Like, Or they'll take the other route of like, you know, there's the shaming piece of you're always so emotional and wow, this shouldn't be a big deal. All the shoulds and all of that stuff, which never helps anyone. So the next step is for the receiver after they get the empowered statements of I feel, I feel, I feel to reiterate what they hear. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing when I walk in the door that it really and I don't hug you or acknowledge you right away that it feels makes you feel like you're unloved um, you or you not even makes you you feel unloved, you feel unimportant and you kind of feel like you're tapping into this uh, hurt little child space. And that sounds really hard. And I don't want you to feel that way. Um, you know, I that's that's the last thing I want. And I had no idea I was doing that. Uh, thank you for telling me that. And then there will be more conversation, you know, maybe the other person's like, yeah, and I feel this, I feel this, I feel, I feel, I feel. And for the person receiving again to just keep reiterating, keep reiterating what it is that you're hearing, working with your person, your partner, whoever it is that you're talking to um, and trying to avoid defensiveness. And eventually the next level would be um, for both parties to somehow cop to something authentic um, that they could have done better. So not like, I'm never going to do that again because like we're, we might, we fuck up. We're, we might fuck up and walk in the room again and forget to hug our partner. Um, but to, to say, I, you're important to me and this conversation is important to me and your feelings are important to me and I'm really going to take this into account and thank you so much for opening your heart and sharing that uh, w- with me. Um, and, and then even for the other person, the person that's hurt, yeah and um maybe oh yeah and actually i probably could have done something better too so like they could tap into this happened a month ago and i didn't say anything about it and um now i feel really safe in talking to you about this so thank you for hearing me um and in the future now i feel safer to be able to step into this place with you and be more connected to you and it goes both ways yeah you said a few things that were super important there one was uh about being specific mm. about something that happened, not saying something like, you always do this. No, don't ever say right. always. Yeah. yeah. Never. Or, the, yeah, or you're never, this, yeah. this person rather than like saying like, when you did this very specific thing, mm-hmm. because then it seems manageable. It's yeah. not like you're this type of person that I don't like. Mm-hmm. It's more this specific action. And then another thing that I found um, that, I, that I really like that you said is to reiterate what the person said back to you mm-hmm. rather than saying I hear you yeah that's a super easy one to I say you. I hear you yeah I see you I, I understand you yeah. yeah I see you <laughs> I see dead people yeah I was going for the avatar one. Oh, I like that but I see you I see you um, tails connected yeah, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that's hot that's sexy uh, but to yeah to be able to reiterate that I find mm-hmm. that that works even well even with um 
if you're debating ideas mm, with yeah. people. Mm -hmm. If you say something that I disagree with, I then reiterate, well, what I heard you say was this, 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 this. Does that feel true? Okay. Now I'm going to intellectually dismantle you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Break you down. Right. But, that's, but I think that a lot of times we, we approach relationship conversations like debates mm, yeah unfortunately where we want to win yeah it's a, yeah but it no a, one wins at the end of it well it, when we approach it with that that approach of wanting to win it no one really wins right. it's then it's a then it's an argument it's not a conversation anymore it's like we're in battle yeah and we don't want to be in battle i don't think any no one really wants to be in battle when one partner's going into it maybe they do but i think for most people when they're going into it and one partner kind of approaches it as if it's a battle that's like their hurt inner child running the show that's actually most likely not their adult self that's like you know their empowered liberated adult self that's like yeah i just want to fight this person i love usually that's not the case usually it's some hurt part of them that's running the show yeah most of it's misunderstanding mm -hmm. and uh well, we've talked about this before i don't think we talked about it on the last podcast but different love languages yes that yeah. like if you like let's say touch is mm -hmm. a great love language for one person, but uh, speak is the another the, love yeah, language. The, yeah, quality time. Um, and then you know you'd say, well, I tell you I love you every single day, but you're like, no, but, but I, I want I you to, to touch. I want yeah. you to show me. Yeah, right? yeah. This that's a big thing. The love languages. There's this really great book. It's the um, the five love languages, and it has some Christian undertones. So if you can be okay with that, because there's some God talk in there, you can be okay with that. It has really really useful information for all relationship whether it's again with family friends or lovers or even business um, to understand how we convey love and how we feel love we usually convey love the way that we feel love so uh, the love languages would be touch quality time words of affirmation so like i love you you're sexy um acts of service i do the dishes for you i cook you breakfast and gifts I, you know obviously we know what that is i buy you things and um, and so quite often people have like one to three that are more, more dominant for them. Um, so an example for me is like touch is my number one and quality time would be my number two. What are yours, Kyle? What's yours? Um, so what was it? Wor words of affirmation, words, words yeah, you know touch, words. quality time. Yeah. Quality time, quality time. Is, a, is a big one. Like deep, meaningful conversations. Like, like put the fucking phones away. Yeah. You and I are going to have a conversation. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it's about, yeah. but it's going to be a conversation that doesn't that I wouldn't have with other people. Yeah. Right. And I think that a lot of times our phones are what really fuck us up because yeah. one thing I love about podcasts is that they're uninterrupted. We're getting to places in this conversation right now that we wouldn't get to in a normal conversation because one of us would look at our phones and then it, yeah. it fractures it. Yep. And I fucking hate that in mm -hmm. with, with deep relationships when you're trying to get into some sort of awesome spot and then maybe there's something uncomfortable so boom we look yeah. at our phones i'm gonna and disconnect boom it's done yeah um so yeah I, that's that's a really big one for me is yeah. putting the phones away at night mm -hmm. five o'clock you know they go away and then i find that that just opens up uh this opportunity to let the shoulders drop and get into some cool places yeah and connect that's it, like the true quality time there yeah I, I think that like when you're like kyle what's your love language like well I like to talk. <laughs> yeah. Talking. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. Why are you great for podcasting? <laughs> right. Well, so an example of, so like, so say my, my love language was gifts and yours was quality time. Um, for me, because gifts are so, that's how I feel loved. 
um, I would probably buy you a lot of gifts. I would think of buying you a lot of gifts because I'm like, well, this is what love means. This is how I feel loved. So this must be how Kyle feels loved. When, when I buy you a gift and you're kind of like, well, that's cool, but I would I rather have a deep conversation with you. I don't need more shit in my life. Yes, please. I have enough. I'm trying to downgrade here. Um, but so what, what it takes for the, for in a, you know, in a partnership or just in relationship in general is for, um, us to, or what's helpful is for us to understand what's my love language is how do I convey and feel loved? How do you convey and feel loved? And how can I step outside of myself and show you, you know, make you feel loved the way that you feel loved. So yours is quality time. And that's not what comes natural to me. I would like, for me, I would probably choose to start creating practices to make it so it's a natural thing for me. So um, what I've recently done with, with, um, with my partner, he actually really likes gifts. Gifts are like so big for him. And I don't even think about it. I'm just like, la la la, you know, someone gives me a gift again, same thing. This is nice. Um, but the way I feel love is touch. Literally, if we get in an argument, all this person has to do is hug me and tell me they love me. And I will just like, I feel my whole body surrender and let go of whatever we just got an argument about. Um, but for gifts, so what I've done is because it's not a normal thing for me to walk around this earth and like, what is, Oh, I should buy a gift for my partner. I actually have a little thing in my phone that reminds me once a month, like buy a gift for your partner. And, um, and now that I'm seeing that comes up, I'm at, and then I'll go and, and it will be an authentic thing too. I'm not just like some bullshit trinket, but, and I won't buy it on that spot, but then for, for the next week I'll think about, okay, I want to get my partner something like keeping this really present in my mind. And, um, the more that I do that, it's creating this new neural pathway in my brain that's making it so that I'm starting to think of it, of, of buying this person a gift on my own. So the love languages, they're part of that negotiation of us figuring out what are your needs? What are mine? How do you feel loved? How do I feel loved? And how can we give that to each other um, and meet each other in the middle? And it's really, really helpful. Yeah, it's funny uh, how pragmatic it is yeah. and how simple it is. A lot of times it just takes getting into a space where you can have a conversation, sit down and say, all right, what are, what are things that make you feel seen yeah. or ways that make you feel met mm -hmm. in this relationship and how much assumption there is with most relationships. Most people assume that what makes me feel loved is going to make you feel loved. Yeah. Yeah. My experience is your experience too. So how would you, uh, have two or, Three, maybe there's some some wild relationships. Little out triads, there. Little yeah. Triads. How would you uh, set up a a space for this conversation to happen? To figure out like what are your needs, what are your needs, and how do we all meet in the middle? Yeah, and what yeah. are the questions that you would ask so that people can do this? Well, I do the which I talked about in the last podcast. So if y'all didn't hear it, I would go back and do the core erotic theme to figure out that that more important question of it isn't what do we want, but it's how do we want to feel, you know, as a sexual being. If it's if it's about sex, um, because once we figure out how we want to feel, then we can figure out the more like superficial ways, the little superficial kind of like tools of how to get that feeling those are all like you can do this for me you can do this for me and this will make me feel the way I want to feel as a sexual being so that's something I do in sessions with clients all the time um, to get them asking the more important question and help them figure out what it is that they want um, and then what are the core erotic themes that most people uh, more tend most, to be? yeah the most common is they want to feel special they want to feel the best they want to feel cherished adored honored um, taken care of and then there's and it's a really 
um, kind of like personal experience, right? You'll identify with one word more than another that that is, you know, is for you. And some of them are more common, like special and the best are really common. The best is also really common for men. Um, and in, it all comes from childhood, you know, especially if you had someone that was never saying like, good job, Sonny, good job at that baseball game or good job in the arts and crafts fair or whatever. Go it was. get them, slugger. Go get them, slugger. Instead, it was like, you could have done this better and this better. And why can't you be more like your sister? And, <laughs> and that person, quite often their sexual relationships later, they want to feel the best because it's kind of counterbalancing or healing things that we're missing before. It's very interesting that our sexual relationships are very much related to our childhood and our upbringing with our parents. Um, but once we get once we accept that and we get clear on those more important questions, then it gives us tools to be able to work with our partner and then figure out what their theme is and how can we make them feel they want to feel. I just keep going back to that scene in American Psycho. Oh God! Where, <laughs> where, where uh, oh, what's what's the actor's name? Uh, uh, Batman. Oh God, I'm so bad you know at talking movies. About. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's fucking the prostitutes. Christian Bale. Christian Bale. He's yeah. fucking the prostitutes, and yeah. he has the mirror, and he he's looks over at the mirror. Like, yeah. He's flexing in the mirror. Yeah. Oh my God. And then he goes back to the, the next day, and the um to the stockbrokers, and he has the um. They're, everyone has the cards, their business cards. Mm-hmm. Do you know this scene? I don't remember that. I remember those mirror scenes. Yeah, the mirror, the mirror scene is one you don't forget. And the and then he goes to um, and everyone is talking about their business cards, and they're all these basically the exact same white business cards, but he's comparing them all. Mm. He said he has bone white business cards, <laughs> and then it was like this is the the tan white and but he, he, you know, he, he just has this competitive he wants to be everything is best. i want to be the best god that I guy I, does not care about anyone's core erotic theme i'll bet you uh, a ton of the new york stockbrokers have that probably yeah or just anyone that you see that's like really really striving to be i mean even outside of sexuality too anyone that's really really striving to like make the most money and be the ceo and rise to the top being the best is is really important to them it's really like status and being up there and being praised and and um kind of kind of above other people or maybe it's not a hierarchy but just still feeling like i'm really fucking good at what i do yeah and uh insta fame too like instagram fame I, i find that a lot of people who are just constantly pushing it to the point like you can i I love sharing shit like i got my abalone i'm like woohoo! i'm gonna share this with the world Mm -hmm. but um i find that uh people who i see who you know they post something and you're just like ooh, like well you're really lacking something inside Mm -hmm. uh that's a way to feel this kind of instant gratification and this love from the world that you really crave that's like this attention like that if it's a core erotic theme i would say that feels more like feeling special right like i'm i'm so special that people i got you know a thousand likes in this photo because i'm that special yeah Mm -hmm. yeah they they need that goodwill hunting uh moment when he's with robin williams he says well i want you to know it's not your fault. He says, I know. Yeah. He's like, no, no, you don't know. You don't son. know. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not your fault. He said, yeah, yeah, I know. He's like, no, you don't know. <laughs> don't, don't you fuck with me, Sean. <laughs> don't you fuck with me, Sean. Not you. Oh. Not you. It's not your fault, son. It's like, it's not your fault. Deep therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> This is really good. Yoni the Love War is a great actor. Yeah, well, Good Will Hunting is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting how hard, um, 
when we build up the walls in regards to like worthiness, how thick those walls are and how someone can give us information, we just like won't hear it. You know, I, I have, um, you know, clients that have sexual trauma and as now they're in wonderful relationships with people who, um, honor them and cherish them and all they want to do is make them feel safe and will never ever hurt them physically. Um, and they, as much as the, uh, those people are telling them, you know, I love you, you're safe here. It just isn't going through because the armor is so, so thick for, for just reasons. It's, you know, the body is brilliant and the body is like, I'm going to build this wall because this experience wasn't safe. And now I'm going to protect you from future experiences. So, um, I always remind people to kind of have compassion for that, for the body being so smart, because it can be really frustrating how thick those walls are. But someone can just say over and over, you're safe here. I love you. You're, you know, or people with body shame, you're beautiful. You're sexy. I love your curves. I love everything about you. And they just don't even hear it. And there's ways to get in there, of course, but that armor is just, it is brilliant. brilliant. So sitting down with the partner, uh, figuring out what the core erotic themes mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Uh, love languages. Love languages. Yeah. Um, and then where do you go from there? Well, then it's communication skills too. So, you know, there's, we talked about like the repair work too, but now we know, well, now we know more of how we want to feel, what we want and how, um, how we feel loved and how we can convey that uh, to our partner and how our partner can convey that to us. Um, and then how do we ask for what we want is another really big thing. Um, and I always have this thing that I call give them a cookie, which is um, positive reinforcement, which is really helpful and from an authentic place. Uh, so uh, there's some things in the moment we need to talk about in the moment. But if we can wait, especially when we're naked, like naked in bed isn't the most ideal place to be like. So that one thing that you just did, I didn't really love that <laughs> because then people are like, oh, my God, I'm so vulnerable and I'm naked. And I'm not perfect. And I thought I was the best. Now I'm not the best. And, you know, they go through all that stuff. Um but uh, in the moment when we're actually touching or being touched, and uh, did I talk about this in the last one? Do you know? The, I always I use know. a nipple go, example. Yeah, this is it. great. Yeah, because yeah, something might be new. But so say someone's touching your nipples. You love having your breasts touch or your nipples touch, but you don't love it when it's like fast and hard and crazy and vigorous. And say this person's just like rubbing the shit out of your nipples, and you're like, this is so irritating. But I do want, I do like having my nipples or my breasts touch. Um, so you, you do this, what I call give them a cookie or positive reinforcement. You say an authentic statement that is, um, praising them in some way. So it's not some bullshit. Like I love when you rub my nipples fast and hard when you don't really love that. Don't say that. But, um, uh, a statement that might be authentic would be, I love when you touch my breasts or I love when you touch my nipples and so not, but, and what I'd love even more is if you went a little softer and slower. And it's that simple. The and is really helpful because the but really reminds people of like, oh, fuck, I fucked up. And the positive reinforcement statement in the beginning um, gives them some praise so that they can hear the critique without it feeling like I'm doing everything wrong. I'm not the best. I'm not good at what I'm doing. Um, And it can be really, really helpful in those moments. So you can do that for anything, any sort of touch. Um, say an authentic encouragement of something that they're they're doing or that you generally like with an and followed by the critique in a loving way and you start to get what you want people start to hear you they don't feel ashamed um whereas in the moment they're rubbing their nipples like oh i hate that you're so bad at this you always rub them too hard of course they're going to shut down and and probably be scared to rub your nipples because they're scared of fucking up again i like using sounds so if Mm. the nipple not really but (laughs) (laughs) the nipple rubs are too fast you go "Eh, eh," and then they slow down and go (laughs) this is uh, yoni the love warrior chewbacca stuff (laughs) 
<laughs> now this is the issue not everyone's going to understand your sound some people <laughs> everyone understands <laughs> as pleasure oh my i might be yeah i, I don't <laughs> I, I don't know i might be a little confused i might be like is this Prime, what's primal shit yeah. I, I was uh sasquatch in my last life <laughs> you were tapping into your inner sasquatch um wait i want to talk about can i can i redirect the conversation sure. okay because there's something that's been really big for me so um Oh, well, on this side, I'm starting a, a podcast, too, that's coming out. It's called Shameless Sex with Amy. No, it's with April and Amy. So Shameless Sex uh, with April and Amy. And um, our website is shamelesssex.com. And we talk about sex very openly and shamelessly to try to um, kind of promote conversations like this to normalize it so people aren't so fearful of um, not being their sexual selves or talking about sex. Um, but one thing I really wanted to talk about on there, which we haven't done yet, so I'm going to do it here and I'll probably do it there too, is this um, idea about masculinity. And this applies, this is a, um, applying mostly to heterosexual relationships, but um, masculinity and how a lot of the women that I know or I'm working with really want to be ravished. And um, they don't know how to talk to their male partners about this. Um, or when they do, the men are either really fearful or they just don't really know what it means or how to get into it. Um, and ravished, what does ravished mean to you, Kyle? Ravished. Uh, I think of raviolis. <laughs> <laughs> word, word association game. Okay. So they want to be turned into raviolis and eaten up alive. Um, covered in spaghetti sauce, you know, red sauce, maybe some Parmesan. Yeah. Delicious. Um, so ravished, I mean, there's different words that you could use. But to me, ravish really means this almost like this. There's a dominance factor in there. So they want their male partners to come at them with this very confident, dominant energy. But it's coming from a very reverent, honoring, respectful place, like worshiping almost. Yeah, um, there's a tightrope. You're not Christian Bale flexing. No, in the you're mirror. not. <laughs> and you're not Chewbacca. Yeah, and you're not, not, and you're not Chewbacca <laughs> on your back. Passive. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. somewhere between it's Christian. In the middle. It's somewhere between Christian Bale and, and Chewbacca. Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone, we're going to leave you at that. Figure it's it out. <laughs> Yoni the Love Warrior. It is. It's Yoni the Love Warrior. But it's it's Yoni the Love Warrior not being in this just complete, like, soft, always, like, I mean, vulnerability is always on the table, but not just, not this, like, whatever you want, honey, I'm just here to honor you. Like, that's lovely. And a lot of these women, I'm not speaking for all of them, but a lot of women that I'm speaking with, they are wanting this dominant factor, this male partner who's like, you can surrender here. You're safe here. I honor you. I respect you. And I'm going to take control and um, maybe like grab you by the waist and pin you up against the wall and then just like on, like just kiss all over your, your neck and, and your lips and maybe just some bite marks, <laughs> some bite marks, grab the back of your hair and like kind of lightly pull in a very loving way. There's a proper way to hair pull everyone you grab close to the scalp you don't grab at the bottom of the hair unless you're trying to do more of like the sm thing no. um but anyways they're looking you're not for riding this a stallion no that, that is yeah no none. I, I mean actually, i actually haven't ridden stallions but i would expect that you would actually want to grab them uh, close, cl closer to the mane yeah, as well, well it hurts when you just pull at the bottom totally. of the hair and you pull hair out on accident and it can be really sensual if you just rub your fingers up the back of the neck into the scalp you get a close grab so like your hair is really short i couldn't really do it to you but my hair you know you could easily get a nice grab and a nice pull <laughs> and it's 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 nice friendly to the neck when i was in uh seventh grade i had very long blonde surfer's hair this was also the peak of my sexuality and cuteness because all of the eighth <laughs> grade girls would grab me and they would just rub my hair can i touch your like, hair yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> circle of eighth grade girls rubbing little you, 12 year old you got, so you got blonde. hj's head jobs i would get hj's <laughs> yeah. it's the best hj's all over the place as good as it got oh young yoni getting hj's started yeah. young he started young everyone um okay so <clears throat> ravishing um, ravishing so one thing though that i i think is an issue is I don't think the feminist movement is an issue, but the feminist movement, I feel like it, there's certain aspects of it that makes it hard for men to understand um, where they should fall in this kind of dominant masculine realm in terms of sexuality. And this actually applies it's the same for women, too. So for women, you know, if we're too sexual, there's a slut shaming. If we're not sexual enough, there's like, we're, you know, we're frigid. So it's very confusing. Where do I fall in the middle? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. For men, if they're too hyper-masculine, they're like kind of the douchebag and like disrespectful to women. This is like what they get stigmatized with. And of course, there's certain actions that that could be true. Um, and then if they're too uh, kind of soft and on the feminine side, then there's like, oh, well, they're not really that masculine or confident or dominant. So where do they fall in there? And it's kind of a little, a little scary, I think, for some men. Um, they want to respect women. They want to honor them. And by going into this dominant place, there's this fear of... of I don't want to disrespect you. I don't want to hurt you, which I love that they're coming from that place. Um, but it brings up some fear in tapping into this kind of dominant, confident self. And so when I talk to men about this, I like to remind them that there's a difference between just being like dominant and aggressive versus dominant combined with honoring and respectful. Um, and it really can come in this place of this ravishing, you know, this, this almost this like goddess worship. I don't know if everyone identifies as a goddess, but, um, I honor you. I cherish you. I care about you so much. And I, you, you're safe here. You can surrender here. And, um, I'm going to take control and I'm that confident in this. And here's a piece of that confidence. You don't just press a button and you get it right. So, um, for confidence, another piece that helps the confidence is skills because because sex is a practice where the more we do it or learn about it, the more skilled we get. So if someone is wanting to step into a higher level of confidence, uh, whether, regardless of what your gender is, learning new skills or learning more skills to uh, that, um, that work with whatever it is that you're already doing will make you more confident. So everything from taking a sex ed class to listening to podcasts like this to reading a book, watching a DVD or, you know, how to. Um, there's a lot of ways to gain more skills and then once you have more skills then you quite often will be more confident in what it is you're doing and also when we learn sometimes it just reaffirms that we're doing what we're doing right like sometimes we're not confident it's like I don't know if I'm doing it right you know I don't know when I push her up against the wall I don't know if I'm doing am I doing it too hard this is where communication comes in too you can have a conversation about it hey when I shoved you against the wall was that sexy was that too hard did you like that should I do that again yeah I have a friend who uh him and his partner she likes to get choked mm -hmm. but he doesn't know if he was choking her too hard yeah so she holds on to his wrist as so, hard as she wants to be choked ah smart see very 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 smart yeah these are all i know i know that um i mean i'm speaking about all this in a consensual way and um and so there's the things that we like to do and we, or it's the fantasies we have. First of all, they can just be fantasies. They don't have to be related to what we want to happen. Um, and the things that we like to do can also be kind of part of this like role play again, probably healing or having to do with our childhood stuff. Um, and they can be done in a really, really healthy, respectful way. So this is just something that I'm seeing that, that, and, and it's for different for everyone. Not every woman wants um, to be ravished. Not every woman wants their partner to take control and be really dominant. Some women, they want to be the one doing that. So I'm not speaking for everyone. But 
Um, or, and there are a lot of women who are looking for this and they don't know how to talk to their partners about it. Or when they do, um, their partners are kind of fearful on how to step into that space. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of shame for women also who do want that, but don't really understand why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's this like, well, I, I like being dominated but I don't know why. Is there something, something wrong, wrong with, with me? me? Yeah, but else because I also like being respected, and right. maybe I'm a feminist, or like I and I, I want to you know uphold this respect for women, this movement that we're on, and um, you know, fun fact about me: when I was, I've never had any sexual trauma ever. Um, oh, I mean, I've had compliant sex, of course, that didn't feel that good that I didn't say anything, but I de- was still still consensual. Um, and you know, that's its own thing. But, um, I, when I was like 10 or 11, I remember watching some show like Melrose Place 90210 or something. There was a rape scene. I was really turned on by it. I was super young and started to have these rape fantasies. You know, I didn't actually want them to happen. Um, but they, something about it, about the, um, this, this kind of like surrender power play. And of course it was not consensual. Um, but it was just really rousing to me. I, and I, I never shamed myself for it. And I don't know, maybe this is just why I can talk about sexually so open, but I never went to a shameful space. Although, um, I have had partners where, and I didn't tell, I, I've never really wanted to like act out a rape fantasy before. It's not, um, it's just like my spank bank material, um, Sometimes people do want to act it out in a consensual role-playing place, but that's never been my jam. But when I've talked to partners about it, um, some of them have been like, oh, that's I get it. I totally get that your fantasy is separate from what you want. And some of them have been kind of shaming of like, well, there must be something wrong with you. Why would you want that? That's that like that doesn't make any sense. And it's important to understand that they are they can be very, very separate things. Um, now the shame piece could be, you know, say I really wanted it to happen. I want a rape fantasy and my partner is like, I'm not comfortable with that. And then I shame them for not, um, giving me what I want or for not being open to my something that makes them uncomfortable. That's, that's an issue. But, um, yeah, fantasy and what we actually want can be completely separate. All right. So let's talk about this. Cause these are some of the, the toughest conversations to, uh, talk about with a sexual partner is something that you really dig, but are afraid are going to be judged for yeah so how would you open up that conversation with someone well the same kind of thing of uh, that we started with um, as a it's not really a repair conversation but it's i have something that i've been thinking about that's really important to me is now a good time to talk about it so in a place when the spirits are all high and um, everyone's happy and they don't have anyone to run to and then to kind of elaborate on whatever that thing is um i've been seeing my sex coach amy and we've been working on on um, what it is that who i am as a sexual being and i'm starting to realize that i have these fantasies about we'll say we'll say it's rape fantasies i have um these rape fantasies and i don't really i I know that i don't actually want to be raped but um i would really like to do some power play with you because this is something that really turns me on um are you open to exploring that with me or talking at least just talking further about it to see if there's ways that we can role play or kind of tap into that a little bit um so it's just a matter of just speaking from from you and what you're what you've learned about yourself hey i had this big realization about me are you willing to talking about it to talk about it right now and here it is and are there ways that we can you know negotiate? maybe you know with the rape fantasy thing maybe we don't role play but we watch porn where there's some dominant submission slash things that look like they you know it's acting but it might not look as consensual um and see where we can find there's always ways to kind of meet each other it's not always the middle you know sometimes it's more towards one side than the other but there's ways that we can work together it's just about 
wording it the right way. Right. Do you have safe words with that kind of stuff? With, uh, in terms of... Yeah, with like the dominant stuff. Because I feel like oh, that's... Yeah. So, so that's the... Um, you're really threading a needle there. Totally. Right? Because you want it to be uh, dominant, but, you, you know, both people also understand that it is role-playing. And yeah. I think that's an, that's an important uh, concept, too, is that you can be an intellectual you can be a feminist you can be whoever you want to be um but there are different versions of ourselves that that come out in different spaces right mm -hmm. and i think that uh from what you were saying like the, the douchebag macho man who um has that stereotype they're playing out a certain uh person in the wrong situation yeah. right like they're approaching women and like, hey babe like, what's yeah. up i'm gonna hump your leg right now <laughs> yeah. right and no one wants that yeah mm -hmm. but there are spaces where two people are comfortable um yeah it's like consensual like dressing up like pirates and yeah. laying out, playing, playing out some fucking <laughs> wild fantasy you what's know? a pirate's favorite letter kyle well, uh, <laughs> you'd think it's the R, but really it's the C that they love. <laughs> really it'd be the C. <laughs> I, I he he got me, got me. Damn it. That one was for you, April. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, yeah I, I like what you said about that, that there's, um, we do take on different personas. And that's one of the beautiful things about sex is that we can actually go take on a whole different role than how we live our everyday lives. A lot of the people I know that want to be dominated they actually are very dominant in everyday life. You know, they just want to surrender in sex. Like, ah, finally, I can just like let go and release because I'm so type A and controlling everything. And now I finally get to release in this. And it's so healing for them. It feels so good for them. You know, this isn't, isn't always the case, but that's quite often what's happening is they can take on this other role. Um, in terms of safety, you know, safe words, can be really important depending on what you're doing. Um, choking safe words are hard because you can't speak quite often. So um, finding different levels of safe actions, you know, like I'm going to, if I tap your, you know, your wrist like this or your person, your friend that was squeezing, you know, if I squeeze, do like a double squeeze, that means that it's too tight or you need to let go. Um, but if in environments where we can actually have words, having an understanding of what the word is can be really helpful. Um, if you're just doing light dominant play, like, um, I'm going to spank you. So quite often safe words might not need to be part of it. It can just be like, Hey, that's a little too hard. Or can you go a little lighter? Or wow, that one, or you can use numbers like on a scale of one to 10. That's a nine. Can we bring it down <laughs> to a five? Or, um, there's the light system too. There's the red, yellow, green, um, yeah, green. You don't usually say, cause green's just understood that we're in the green zone, meaning it's a go yellows. Like you're getting close to a little too hard and reds like panic. You know, that's a comfort stretch panic today in the United States. The terrorism level threat was a yellow, <laughs> was a yellow meaning stretch, meaning slow down a little bit, slow down or like that one's okay. But if you go a little further, it's going to be a little bit much. TSA found a dildo that really <laughs> was a bomb. So we've moved it up to the red level today. <laughs> oh, they love my suitcase when I travel. Oh, Lord. Oh God. Speak of, uh, speaking of unconsensual uh, sexual acts, getting molested by those TSA agents. Oh, do you get molested? Hello. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every time too, because I, I'm always bringing either I'm bringing camera gear mm -hmm. that they don't know uh, what it is because apparently people don't know what a camera looks like anymore. Uh, or I'll have the, the most fun is when I bring my um, Patagonia inflation vests for 
when I'm on a big wave. Oh yeah, trip. I heard about those when and it, and it looks like a, a suicide bomb vest. Mm-hmm. So they always will take me over to the corner, sir. And would you like a private room? I'm like, no, just fucking get just it over. Fill with. me up here now. And there's okay. Well, I'm gonna touch uh, your balls with the back of my hands now. And do they say balls? No, they say I'm gonna uh, reach up onto this part of you, sir, with the back of my hands. And do you ever go back balls? You mean my balls? Yeah. <laughs> you mean my fucking cock and balls? And they get up there. Oh yeah, they they really make sure that there's no uncrevice unchecked. Yep. Wow. Crevice unchecked. Invasive. I've never had that happen. It's fucking weird. It's super weird. And that like how we've normalized it in our society where we let a a a public servant, mm-hmm. right? Like someone like okay, a I've, hired I've, public a servant. hired yeah. public servant, someone who, you know, I've paid to go on this flight. I've gotten ripped off at the gate with all of my luggage. Now I'm going in here and there's no other place where I would let a a grown man just grab yeah. just like they they fully grab your balls. Yeah. And then okay. Or you can and, go now. Then you can go now. Yeah, and it's funny how they they maintain this facade of okay, I'm going to grab I'm going to touch your private parts with the back of my hands and then but then sometimes you'll see them crack and then like not when they're talking with like they'll they'll like look you in the eye and it's just this like sorry dude (laughs) (laughs) i know this is a lot yeah Yeah. maybe you should start putting dildos in your suitcase because um i i find that that really scares people they do not want anything to do they do not want to touch that thing they're like uh that person's just a big old freak and i don't want to search that bag because throw a chewbacca action figure a chewbacca dildo up there yeah (laughs) (laughs) grab it man grab it good luck with that and then as soon as he touches it i'll go (laughs) (laughs) that'll really throw them for a loop yeah the things that those people see i yeah i mean i i travel a lot because i work with a couple of different sex toy companies too and i um kind of train their brands and retail stores so um with a lube company called uber lube and and a sex toy company called crave and i have this big kit of this metal case that they made so like tsa already is like what is this is like huge metal case with all these little things they look like little kind of computer parts in them but they're little vibrators and i just when i go through tsa i just completely open that thing up like i everyone in line gets to see what it is i was like fuck it and it goes through and they're all you see all three of them like what and then it comes out and they look at it and i look at them like they're vibrators and they're like oh okay and then they just usually leave it at that or sometimes they're like what brand is this where where, where can i get one of these or or i've actually had tsa once tell me about the bondage that they like because i had some like bondage kit and they're like i have one of those i love using this one but i like this other one better (laughs) like all right here we go let's go therapy session let's do this and that's why i'm tsa is because i get to dominate people yeah all day long there you go the power play groping some balls yeah i loathe tsa yeah and you travel a lot so you get to deal with it all the time yeah i just got uh global re-entry though oh nice you know global re-entry is it like tsa pre-check but for global yes tsa pre-check and then you get to go back uh and you get to skip the line um going through the back um end of it which is which is really nice but it's always fun to make them uncomfortable oh yeah i love it i love i love the i mean i'm doing all the time with the dildo so it's it's a wonderful time yeah i love to push the buttons yeah what do you do you are there questions that you'll ask in public situations that you'll like, let's say you're like having some drinks with some new people. Uh, are there questions that you will open up certain conversations with? Like I was talking to, um, 
to Dr. Jim Fadiman on this podcast a while ago, and he's an expert in psychedelics. Yeah. So he's just, he's this beacon for psychedelics, uh, where people will always want to have conversations with him about psychedelics. And um, I asked him, is there a good way to uh, open up these conversations with people to not um, to just kind of like find a good point of entry into something into a social group into a conversation that can then um kind of like blossom into something interesting mm. i so it, if i'm meeting new people this is the one thing you know working in the world of sexuality um it depends on who i'm talking to because there's this happens all the time on business trips you know i'm in a, an uber or a taxi cab or arriving to a hotel and they always want to make small talk you know so oh hey hello miss and like what are you here for in business what do you do i'm like oh fuck okay here we go all right what do i want to say uh right uh i sell sex toys or i'm a i say i have i mean i do a lot of things i'm a sex educator or i'm a somatic sex and relationship coach um and that always opens up the doors for so many different responses sometimes it's like oh oh okay well that must be fun or that must be interesting or sometimes it turns into them being really in fa really fascinated by it, really open i have also had people shame me for it. i had um a uber driver in uh, las vegas proceed to tell me um essentially that's that sex toys were were like un unnecessary like people should like why do, well, the why do people need those like why your job is seems pointless and why do people need those and then they found out that i wasn't married and that i should get married and what's wrong you know there was like that whole level of it um and then outside of that you know in 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 my, like having cocktails and meeting people at the bar i do sometimes get um specifically from some men who find out what i do and all of a sudden they get the like well hello there <laughs> oh so you do that so that means that everything is on the table right they don't say that but that's like kind of what they give it, you the look yeah what it feels like and so i do find myself sometimes i'm, I'm on early i work in women's sexual health um i say that when i'm talking mostly to um people that are like the 80 and up crowd because um it's been kind of exhausting explaining sex toys to people who have lived a, a long life of not, and this isn't all 80 and up. I've sold many sex toys to people yeah. that are 80 years old and had their first vibrator from it finally. So yeah, back in the 1920s, yeah. we only had wood toys. <laughs> yeah, we used to whittle our toys. Yeah. I whittled my own dildo. I, I had a wooden <laughs> horse that I would use when I was a girl. I would rub my pussy all up on that. This is one thing that we open our podcast with. April talks about, um, how she first started masturbating when she was six with a bear named Barry and she would just hump the shit out of Barry. <laughs> and, and this is so common for, for kids. Um, and she was telling me, I forgot who she was talking about. There, there was someone that shamed her for that though recently that she was talking to. They were like, um, that's not normal. It's not normal for young people to, or maybe it wasn't her. Someone else was essentially shamed for for masturbating as a young person. And um, this is really common, people. This goes back to like full circle to what we were talking about with the being naked and little people just running around seeking pleasure. And sometimes their genitals are pleasurable. It's um, it's it's what they were always doing. Probably not with like a horse that they whittled, but <laughs> yeah, they find ways. Well, I find that most people who, who have... Um, 
a lot of discomfort around these kinds of conversations tend to have a lot of shit bottled up. Like the uh, military guy from American Beauty. Mm, Yeah. Look at those two faggots running down the street. And then at the end. He's got all his stuff inside. He's got all Uh his stuff. Then there's the last scene where he goes over to Kevin Spacey and And tries to have sex with him. And then shoots him. And then shoots him. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Oops. Oh, sorry. Yeah, if you saw that, but or you haven't seen that. But yeah, I mean, it's their own. They're a lot of their own shame. Or a lot of times it's just we, they don't understand. I don't understand. And um, and I'm not going to take the time to try to understand a different perspective or outside of myself. Uh, and so I'm going to have a big judgment. And that's when a lot of hate comes into. And it's it's really unfortunate how huge that still is. Those are the kind of people I mean, imagine being in a relationship with someone like that. It's essentially like my way is the way and any other way outside of this i don't get and therefore it's wrong is kind of the general approach this is when people have issues with um you know homosexuality or transgender people or um, alternative sexuality you know kink it's like i don't get it and it's not for me and therefore it's wrong which is so shaming and so limited and to me is just like fucking ridiculous so boring so boring Ugh. i was uh i'm reading uh the ethical slut right now yes that's I'm, I'm really enjoying it. it's yeah. a good book yeah non-monogamy mm, yeah, or yeah. relationship and uh there's a, a sentence in it that i really liked where they're talking about you know all these different types of relationships they're talking about um all these different types of pleasure and things that we desire and explaining why it is that like having to explain why it is that we want certain things right mm-hmm. and they basically said it's pleasure and it's okay to have your answer be pleasure. Mm-hmm. I desire this because it feels good. Yeah. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have some deeper whole explanation. A whole explanation like, well, when I was 5, I felt didn't feel the love from my father and it's now I just fault. Yeah, like a lot of times we overanalyze uh we overanalyze needing to reason our way into doing certain things, yeah. right? But if it's not hurting people, and it feels good fucking yeah. do it we're, yeah. we're here and we're going to be gone in a blink of an eye and we're spinning on this little blue ball through the universe yeah. and feeling good is one of the best things that we can do while we're here yeah feel good and well there's and then of course there's going to be discomfort but yeah it's pleasure is enough this is another thing when i'm talking to people about not being goal oriented about sex which it gets in the way so often when we're like trying to get from point a to point b we miss out on all the other stuff because point b is usually orgasm orgasm um is to make pleasure the goal right so it's just like you know feeling good pleasure that's the goal orgasm can be the bonus and it makes it so that um, we get to experience so many other yummy things that we would have missed. Yeah, you know, I didn't get an abalone on one of my dives, <gasps> but I still really enjoyed all the time that I had out there. Oh, you're so good job, Kyle. You're so progressive. Just more, yeah, yeah, more, uh, more abalone analogies. Yes, They're it's all sex and abalone, same, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then when you get back with the abalone, you have to cut it up, and then you need to pound the abalone pound with it. a hammer. Pound it. I don't know where that, I don't know where that analogy is going, but <laughs> at that point. I don't know. It's not consensual. The abalone didn't really. I don't. Maybe it did. Yeah. I'm not sure. So what? Uh, what are you uh, most excited to be doing with the podcast? Ooh, I'm you're so, so good at this. I'm. I'm, so I'm you're like designed for podcasting. I'm, uh, I'm happy that you're I love doing it. It's it. Fun. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's. It's. I mean, I've been teaching for a long time. You know, teaching, and I'm still. I'm. A, I'm a really fast talker. That's like one of my downfalls. Is I'm just like. 
because I'm just so excited and excitable. And that's one of my um, pieces that I'm always working on. It's like, slow down, Amy. Slow down. But um, talking or, or teaching or educating is really comfortable for me. It's really, really natural. And I love it. And um, I'm just really excited. I love creating with April, my um, my co-host. And she's also one of my best friends. She brings in the kind of like, bah! she's just this kind of excitable, like, just she's she's amazing if you listen you'll be like that girl's hilarious and i'm kind of a little more like the grounded sex educator like well actually and then of course i'll be ridiculous at times too um but i love our dynamic in normalizing all the different variations and expressions of sexuality and the way that we talk about it uh, without shame we there isn't really anything that we say we actually open up our first episode with outing vulnerability so like what are some of the things that you feel like you you have happened to you or that you've done sexually that you've been kind of um have been hard shameful you know really really vulnerable so we're outing different things like um you know infidelity and divorce and um being abandoned or not loved or abortion or you know all those things we're just really going into that and um the whole rest of you know all of our other episodes there's a lot of other stuff that's just like we have a specific topic that we're talking about and educating about but i think the main thing is just normalizing those conversations and this is one thing as part of talking about how we when we practice conversations around sexuality communication or actually being sexual like the actual physical acts um practice makes us better at it not perfect but better um and one way to get more comfortable with it is to listen to conversations about sexuality so podcasts like this or you know read books watch dvds or get involved in circles of with friends where people are openly talking about sex and it just starts to create that safety of like this is okay. It's okay. This part of ourselves that we've been taught that we should hide and is inappropriate to talk about out in public. Um, you know, maybe don't talk about it to like the little five-year-old who won't understand what you're talking about, but um, that it's it's kind of taking back that and undoing that shame. And that's kind of our whole premise. We do that in a really, um, really loving, playful way. And it's really fun. So I'm excited. I'm just excited to open that those doors for people. And I've heard that from this podcast, you know, being on this podcast last time, with you that really helps a lot of people to 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 normalize it and I think also for you too because I'm a sex educator but hearing you as the surfer guy who is more than a surfer guy but like you speaking about sex in a very comfortable normalizing way I think is helpful especially probably for men too like I would love to see more men speaking about sexuality um, with a way that has um, like acceptance, reverence, and speaking about vulnerability. So it isn't just like, yeah, I fucked that chick the other night, but like speaking about the hard, heavy stuff. Like, oh, my girlfriend and I are going through some really heavy stuff right now. We're like really disconnected, and and I'm you know I'm really fearful of X, Y, and Z, and because um, a, a lot there's this idea with masculinity that um, that isn't supposed to be discussed especially amongst other men and i think it's really important for everyone to have that community and outlet yeah it's just so silly when you start to have conversations like this and i've been lucky enough to have a lot of very emotionally developed uh men on my podcast too you really see that there is that security in them there's this strong foundation where Mm -hmm. um they can be shaken but it doesn't uh just crumble to the ground where you when you have that kind of posturing and that that machismo like i'm not afraid of shit bro (laughs) you just like yes you are yeah and i just i just laugh at that kind of shit because it's like yeah i i know some of the bravest people in the world like some of my friends are the best big wave surfers in the world they're doing some wild shit 
and all of them are okay talking about uh, their fears. They go through those spaces and, and will mentally take themselves to those scary moments of getting sucked to the bottom of the ocean when they fall on a 50-foot wave, and they've they've played those scenes out and they have safety put in place so that they can safely get through those experiences. And yeah, I just, I I respect the shit out of those types of people. And that's, um, that's one thing that I think I gain a lot from having done this podcast is to see other men who are older than me talk about that kind of stuff. It makes it more okay for me to realize, wait, Oh, this is, someone who's my hero Mm -hmm. and they're talking about vulnerability that makes it more okay for me to talk about it and as a result of explaining it and just putting it out there on the wall that elephant in the room all of a sudden becomes smaller yeah yeah and the fear that everyone has in outing vulnerability is losing love and as much as people don't want to maybe admit that or don't realize that, I don't want to say this one thing to show that I might be weak or you know or vulnerable because then I might lose love. People might think differently of me and they might not want to be in my life or look up to me. I want to talk about uh, STDs with you before oh, yeah. we, we go because I think that for a lot of people, men and women, this shame. is a major point of shame yeah. and a major point of, for, of loneliness mm-hmm. for them to not get to talk about um, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really common. I recently was working with someone and they outed, um, they were going through this really hard time because they had found out they had herpes and, um, and it was like the biggest thing for them and, you know, almost made them not want to be sexual because this conversation of, you know, explaining that to people was really scary. And also they just felt like a leper, like they were so alone in it. And, um, you know, STDs, STIs, sexually transmitted infections, they're so common. I mean, like, I mean, if you're under 40 years old, the majority of those people have HPV. Um, herpes is super common. And for a lot of people, they don't even know they have it because it lies dormant in their body. There's other versions that are cold sores on people's lips. And um, it's it's definitely a scary thing where people think I have this thing and I'm not lovable. But um, once we learn that how common these things are and that there's precautions that we can take so that we don't pass it on and that we are lovable inside and that's what comes first. And then, you know, truly, if someone cares for us or connects with us in a way where they want to be with us, this other thing if we can work with it, though, they they might choose to still still be with you. So, um, so you you refer to them as STIs, sexually transmitted infections. Yeah, because they're not not all like most. It's not majority of them are not diseases, right? You get like chlamydia. It's an infection. You can take a pill right away. The most common ones are chlamydia, gonorrhea. They're popping over all over the place, and you can just one like chlamydia. You take one pill, and it's gone in a couple of days. So, um, it's we're to- talking mostly about infections. Um, and then there's like some viruses and things around there. Too. Right. So what did you do when you were talking with your client who outed that they had herpes? I normalized it for her and I was explaining how common this is. And I forgot what the percentage is, but I mean, if you include all the people that have cold sores, it's like more than not are going to have some form of herpes simplex one or two. 
Um, so normalizing that, talking about the different medications that you can take, the preventative measures, the diet, because diet's a big thing with herpes too. There's um, You can do a high arginine diet, which is higher in like um, dairy, certain fruits and vegetables and meats is great for someone who has herpes. And if you um, have herpes, actually a diet, like a vegan diet is the worst thing you could do because like nuts, seeds, things like that, those have high arginine that actually um, pushes blood into the face and genitals and makes it so you're more susceptible to getting outbreaks. So there's just normalizing, giving people tools to manage whatever it is that they're working with, um, to build up their worthiness and also to remind them to normalize it that they're not alone and how common this is. I think in STIs and STDs have been around forever. Like there's always been things that have been coming around since, you know, day one and um, they're they're changing and shifting and growing and we're finding new ones and new strains um, but it's a normal it's a normal part of it and um, while we want to avoid passing these things on of course uh, there's there's just ways to work with it and it's not the end of the world doesn't mean you're not lovable so it's it's just there's a lot more to you than that thing I know when you find out you have that thing it feels like you're a leper and you're alone but um there's there's a lot more going on and the majority of the people will be able to see that they might still not want to be sexual with you some people will be like no i don't want to have sex with someone with herpes or hiv and that's their choice you know that's that's totally fine maybe they're just uninformed on um, how common these things are or how to prevent them or whatever but everyone's entitled to their choice and it isn't a rejection of you it's a rejection of the thing but it's not you yeah i, I was watching uh a show recently on Vice Land. Uh, it's Thomas Morton's uh, show, Balls Deep, where he goes and he lives with different cultures and different different subcultures, basically. Do you know who Thomas Morton is? I don't. He's a, a Vice correspondent. Um, I had him on my show maybe like 10 or 15 episodes ago. Super cool guy. Mm. Very good at embedding in wild places and not judging people, and which just allows them to open up. And he went to the... Um, I think it was called the Bears uh, Festival. It's a bunch of hairy, larger gay oh, yeah, men. I know, I know Bears. This is Bears, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You probably know more about it than I do. I know do, about but... the Bears Festival, but I know Bears. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it, it was in, I want to say Florida or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's thousands of big, hairy gay dudes yeah. partying and fucking yeah and uh there was a conversation about uh hiv and Mm -hmm. and it was and it becomes so normalized uh in the gay community it was kind of just it was just cool to have him be in the situation and all of these guys talking about having hiv or asking what's your status yeah common question whereas we're like yeah in, in outside in like the heterosexual world it's like that's not uh it's like a scary conversation. No one's, most people aren't casually like, hey, what's your status? Have you been tested lately? Yeah. And yeah. that's much more common in, in the um, community where, and HIV is more common. And of course, and it's, it's pretty common and not pretty common, but it is common in, in, um, in the gay community. And there's all these things with like, you know, barebacking and not using condoms. And, you know, part of the thing is, is like, it's, it's you're I think you're like 18 times more likely to get an STI from anal sex than you are from vaginal sex because um, you get some more tiny fissures where um, fluids can be passed through. So um, I think that would be one of the you know, reasons why it would be more common in that community. Interesting. But I not all that. gay people are having anal sex. So it's not, that's a generalization, but just to keep in mind ass doesn't lubricate itself you know so <laughs> even more susceptible to little fissures <laughs> yeah um now I, I think about um magic johnson mm, and yeah. that moment when he 
publicly outed to the world that he had AIDS yeah. back then. Yeah. Oh my God. Holy yeah. fuck. The amount of courage that must have taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh-wee. It's huge. Yeah. And yeah. Then, and we didn't have all of the, um, the medical technology to make it so that people can live, uh, long, healthy lives with, with HIV now. And, um, it's yeah, the whole, I mean, not everyone, not everyone has access to that. And there's a lot of issues with like pharmaceutical company and the money and all that, that bullshit that's making it so that it's only select people that get it, but right. But it's not a death sentence anymore. No. And that was one of the things that I learned in the Thomas's episode yeah. is that you can live with AIDS now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Plenty of people are still choosing to be in partnership with someone who is HIV positive and, um, and they're finding ways to work with it. And you know, the thing is when you're HIV positive and you're on the meds, you're less likely to, there's the ways to make it. So it's like they, they tear, you're getting your blood tested to see how much of it is still in your system or in your body. And there's points where you can't even pass it on anymore. So like, it's not a death sentence. Herpes is not a death sentence. No one's going to die from herpes. Like all these things, you know, syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, as long as you don't leave them like sitting there in your body and you're actually going to the doctor and getting things checked out and taken care of, you're not going to die from them. It's not, none of it's a death sentence. Well, on that note, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's end it. Uh, let's end it with a joke. Okay, you got a joke. What did one saggy boob say to the other saggy boob? What? Perk up with the think we're nuts. Ah! <laughs> oh, well done. All right. Uh, once again, what's your new podcast called? Uh, my podcast is called Shameless Sex with April and Amy, and you can find us at shamelesssex.com and you can email us at shamelesssexpodcast at gmail.com and I also uh, co-own an adult store where we sell high-end adult toys I own it with my mom here in Santa Cruz it's called Pure Pleasure Shop and you can find us at purepleasureshop.com and the reason why I'm outing that is because as I talk about learning sexual skills I teach sex ed classes and we film them and they're online so if you want to learn from home and learn some new skills you can actually watch them from home and not even have to live in Santa Cruz and they can be like confident dominant dominant Woo. And uh, Instagram? Instagram, find me. I think I'm under there on Amy Pure Pleasure. Amy Pure Pleasure. Love it. I always enjoy our conversations. Always fun, Kyle. Always fun, Yoni. Thank you. You're two, you're two people. <laughs> Thank you for listening, my friends. Hey, before you take off, please give this show a rating on iTunes. It's so simple. It's so easy. All you need to do right now is go to the bottom right corner of your phone if you have an iPhone. Click the search button, type in The Kyle Tierman Show. Even if you're already on it right now, it's going to take you to a new page. You click that button and you will see details, reviews, and related. Give it a few stars. Say something nice. It helps other people find the show. All right, you sexy people. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you leave a wake of high fives and orgasms in your trail in the weeks to come as a result of this new knowledge. Here's a song by Light the Band, and it is called Skeet Freak. All right, have a great day. See you soon.